Let's turn then as we consider together the sacrament and the Word, as they are always uh, to come together, the Word of God as it's found in the book of Jude this morning. The letter of Jude or the epistle of Jude, once again, uh, the book just before Revelation, we're after 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. For those of you visiting this morning, uh, we've been on a series of messages on the book of Jude. In the evening, uh, we've been going through our Westminster Confession of Faith. This evening, we deal with the subject of saving faith as we uh, hear Christ speak to us uh, about that in the parable of the sower of Matthew chapter 13. This morning, though, uh, continuing our series on the letter of Jude. I'll begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through uh, the entire book this morning, but our message is based on verses 17 through 23, 17 through 23. Let's hear God's word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way 
and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's bow in prayer once again. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this message that Jude gives us. It seems so fitting at this time as it always is in all times because it's your word. And Lord, bless that word unto our hearts. And Lord, fill Pastor Bob with your spirit that he may feed us with this word, and that we may celebrate your supper. Lord, we ask for your blessing on these things. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I want to look at two things, two points from this message, from this section this morning, uh, leaving uh, verses 22 and 23 for the next Lord's Day as they form uh, their own uh, responsibility for us as God's people But from those verses uh, then that I've indicated, 17 through 21, first of all, the reminders that Jude gives to those to whom he is writing, three of them he gives to them. Secondly, the resolve that uh, he calls them to. First of all, then, the three reminders. One, they are beloved. It's a word that Jude uses frequently throughout uh, this short letter. But here it comes so beautifully, comes so passionately, comes so compassionately to them as well. That in spite of that which is going on around them, in spite of that which uh, has invaded them, in spite of the fact of these false teachers who have made inroads in the church, they are still beloved of the Lord. Agapehitas. It's the father's title for the son. This is my beloved. And we read several times in the New Testament. This tells us of the depth of this word. This is the way the father relates to the son. The son is the beloved of the father. And now Jude is saying, in that same way, you and I are beloved as well. We're beloved of the Father because of the Son. We are experiencing, in spite of of all that is going on, Jude is saying, 
you still are God's beloved. What a tender way, what a thoughtful way for Jude to come to these people. Or one might think by the time we get to the verse 17, Jude might be ready to say, and why is it you're tolerating them? Why is it you're allowing this to happen? Why haven't you dealt with this? But it's interesting, Jude never goes there. Not in the entire book. Does Jude go towards that direction? Not to those to whom he is writing. Oh, he has said some pretty harsh things, has he not, about those who are these false teachers, about those who are fostering this idea of licentiousness, that turning the grace of God into a license to sin, saying that because we're saved, we can do what we want. Jude has dealt pretty forcefully with them. To those to whom he is writing. See, he's not writing to those people. He's not writing to the false teachers. He's writing to those who believe, the beloved. And he comes back to that now. He started the the letter with that. He's coming back to it now, even after he's gone through this whole thing about the false teachers. And he reminds them, you are the beloved of the Lord. The second reminder is that they had been told. But you must remember, beloved, what? The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They had been told. They had been warned. The apostles themselves had told them, had instructed them, that there was going to come a day, there was going to come a time in which there would be those false teachers who would seek to invade the church. Look at the quote, verse 18. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, end quote. This was something the apostles had taught. This was something that the people to whom Jude is writing are familiar with. They had heard this from the apostles. They had heard it from James. They had heard it from John. They had heard it from Peter. They had heard it from Paul. In those last days. First of all, let me just briefly define what that means in the last days. The last days are anything post-resurrection of Jesus Christ and post-ascension. From that point on, the scriptures call that time period the last days. Anytime you read that, anytime you read that in the Bible, the last days, the last days. It refers to any time after Christ's departure from this earth. The apostles had told them. After Christ leaves. After Christ departs. The wolves will come in. The scoffers. The false teachers. Following their own ungodly passion. They had been told. Now we might wonder a little bit about the use of the term here, the predictions of the apostles. And let me clarify that we're not talking about weather predictions. We're not talking about your favorite TV weatherman 
that, that you like to tune into. And then, uh, remember, remember, was it uh, ZZM that used to have this chart with the arrow? How good did I do? Did I hit a bullseye? Are we on the outside? The word prediction here is not a meteorological or weather-related prediction of the weather. That's the way we use it today. The Greek here means to foretell. The Greek here, with the understanding to predict, means to state clearly that which will happen. This is not a, a chance thing. This is not, you know, it might be 20% cloudy or it might be 40% cloudy. Uh, I'm going to go with 30%. That's my prediction. And then we get an absolutely cloudless day. Or we get a day in which there is no sun whatsoever. That's not what the apostles are doing. I'm guessing, I'm thinking that maybe someday they are predicting. They are stating clearly that which is going to happen. Jude is reminding them, this is nothing new. Don't get all alarmed. Don't go, oh, what's happening? Don't, don't, don't become unsettled. Don't, don't become so alarmist that, that you're like, oh, oh, this is all falling apart. The apostles had told you this is exactly what is going to happen. It's a good reminder for us in our day, right? And all that has happened and all that is going on, whether it's in the church world or in the world itself, okay, we could become, oh, I wonder, does God know what's going on? Is, is Christ really in control? It's all falling apart. There will be no church left. It's horrible. The apostles have already told you that in the day and age in which we live, there will be scoffers. There will be those who teach for their own ungodly fulfillment of their own passion. That's going to happen. The fact that we have ordained ministers who openly decry or decree that they are homosexual, don't, don't become an alarmist. We already have it here. It's already stated. That's what's going to happen. That will take place. And he's simply reminding them of the words that have already been stated and told them that it was going to happen, it will take place, just as we today can look at it and say, it's going to happen, it's going to take place. And if we follow the New Testament, there'll be more. And it will be a continual going further and further and further and further. And we should not be shocked by that. The third thing he reminds them of is the fact that they are to realize that is what's happening to them now. This prediction of the apostles that there will be scoffers, false teachers, is what they are encountering in their very day and age. It is right before their face. That time is now. It is these, it is these, verse 4, certain men, these men, verse 8, these, verse 10, these, verse 12, these, verse 14, these, verse 
16. Jude is saying, that which you are seeing and hearing before your very eyes is indeed the fulfillment of the words of the apostles. And these men, these teachings, this way of looking at things, of taking God's grace and turning it in a license, or we would say, to look at it and say, to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, but to deny his lordship. To claim that I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but I am not under Jesus Christ's commands. I can live the way I want. I can do what I want. It is these who are the divisive ones. They are the dividers. Notice how he brings that out, verse 19. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people who are devoid of the Spirit. Oh, they may act spiritual. They may act like they, they have it all together. They, they may talk about the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But they're devoid of the Spirit. Why does he say they're devoid of the Spirit? Because they deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And those who deny the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord are anti-Christ. They're anti-Christ by New Testament division. They're the dividers. What Jude is saying to these folks, these beloved, you holding to the gospel, you holding to the truth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, you're not the dividers. Oh, you'll be called that. You'll be saying, oh, you're dividing the body of Christ. Why? Because we hold to the truth that Jesus is Savior and Lord. But what Jude is saying, through the Spirit, by God's word, you're not the dividers. I don't see you as the schismatics. I don't see you as those who are causing divisions. It is those who are coming in with this false claim and with this false teaching. Hold to the truth. You're not a divider. You're not divisive. And the same thing is true in our world today as well. Secondly, he then brings them to the resolve. But you, but you, and there it is again, beloved, verse 20. What are they to do? They're to be building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. The resolve that, that these people are to have. What, what do we do about this? What do we do about these false teachers? What do we do about those who are creeping into the church? You're not going to stop the creeping in. That is going to happen until the return of Jesus Christ. You're never going to have a pure church. You will always have those who are coming in and seeking to divide the church away from the truth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. So what do we do? But you, beloved, 
Build yourselves up. Strengthen yourselves. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Keep your finger here a moment. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And listen to to Paul address this circumstance. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 11. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Build yourselves up. Paul, in in looking at how do we compound, what do we do? Well, we've been given these gifts. We've, We've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building ourselves up. Of joining together, of strengthening together, of creating a solid unity and bond. What is that which keeps away? What is the preventive? The unity of the body of Christ around the truth of Christ that he is Savior and Lord. That's the point Paul is making. And the Spirit gives us gifts to accomplish That purpose, to build ourselves up in the faith. See, what what Jude is doing is he is defining what he meant back in verse 3 by contending for the faith. How do you contend for the faith? By building yourselves up in the faith. Now, the word faith here, we have to understand the meaning. He's not talking about our own personal subjective faith. Our own personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word faith here is used in an objective way. It means the body of Christian beliefs taught by the apostles. It means to hold to the teachings of the apostles in regards to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now remember, they don't have this. This isn't conveniently in their possession. But what they have are the teachings of the apostles. Hold to that. That's the faith. That's the objective faith. Hold to that faith. Don't be listening to these false teachers. Those false teachers are not in agreement with the body of truth of Christian belief that the apostles gave you. 
They're not teaching what Peter told you. They're not teaching what John told you. They're not teaching what Paul told you. They're not teaching what James told you or Matthew or any of the other apostles. They're not teaching that. They're teaching something different. Hold to those teachings. Build yourself up in that teaching. And what is that for you and I today? For you and I today, that's this. That's the word of God. This is the objective faith. This is truth. This is a body of truth. Build yourselves up in the truth. Know this. Know this. Read this. Be involved in the reading of this truth. Be involved in the study of this truth. Be involved in the hearing, the proclaiming of this truth. That's the combating of the false teachers. The objective truth of the word of God. Because you see, when you read this and study this, there's no room for an idea that takes God's grace and turns it around and says, now you have freedom to sin. Nowhere is that taught in the word of God. Nowhere does it mean because you're a Christian you can now live an immoral life. Nowhere is that taught. Nowhere is it taught that you can have Jesus as Savior but not as your Lord. Nowhere is that taught. Hold to the truth. Read. Study. Hear its preaching. This is the means by which we hold to the truth. And you see, as we grow, as we build ourselves up in that truth, what are we going to do? We're going to spot error. We're going to spot the false teacher. We're going to spot the false proclamation. Why is the church today so ignorant of that which is going on? Because it doesn't know the word. It doesn't know the truth. It doesn't know, for example, to use our illustration from Thursday morning Bible study, who Jehoshaphat is. They don't know that. And because of that, they failed to learn the lessons from Jehoshaphat's life. They failed to apply God's truth to their circumstances. What happens? False teachers, false prophets easily come into the church. Because we don't see the warnings. And we don't hear the warnings. Why? Because we don't bother to take the time to read it, study it. Or to be on a regular pattern of hearing its proclamation. But there is another means. And that's these two things. It is these sacraments, you see, that is the word on display. See, this displays this. He's my Savior, He's my Lord. 
He's my Savior. He's my Lord. It is the true proclamation of the Word. That's why the Word and the sacraments go together. They fit together. They are united together. This is not separated from that which we're proclaiming from the book of Jude today. Build yourself up. How? How do I build myself up in the objective truth that Jesus Christ is Savior as Lord? By nourishing your faith. By strengthening your faith. By visually seeing. By visually smelling. By tasting. By tasting. God's proclaimed truth that he is Savior and Lord of your life. And as you take that bread and as you take that cup, you proclaim your saying, I believe your word. I believe your word as written. I believe your word as a sign and a seal. Jesus is Savior and Lord. Build yourselves up in the faith. But notice what Jude adds. Then he says, and in prayer. And in prayer. Hmm. It's interesting that the Reformed faith talks about these three means of grace, right? The Word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. Notice, that's where Jude is taking us. Build yourselves up in the faith. How? Pray in the Holy Spirit. There's a good question. How much praying are we doing these days? How much praying are we doing? Are we doing as much praying as we do complaining? Are we doing as much praying as we are picketing? Are we doing as much praying as we are posting? Where's prayer in all of this? Jude says, you want to deal with false teaching? Then be praying. Be a prayer warrior. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Because Paul, in writing about the Christian conflict, in writing about Christian warfare, after he describes our, our warfare attire in spiritual terms, not in the physical terms of this world, not in terms of cartridges and guns, but he describes it as spiritual components, says, and pray. Pray, pray, pray. We need to resolve people of God in our day and age, as the people of Jude's day needed to resolve in their day. We need to build ourselves up in the faith. We have a huge threat out there and within the body of Christ. We have false teachers gathering within the church of Jesus Christ. What are we to do? Read, study, hear the word of the Lord. Come, participate in the sacraments. 
the word on display and pray, pray. See, if I ask a question and we answer it honestly, you know how this will turn out. How many of us pray enough? Well, we think about it, we go, well, none of us. Exactly. None of us prays enough. Contend for the faith. Pray in the Spirit. Verse 21. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. What an interesting expression. How do I keep myself in God's love? How, how do I? You mean I have a responsibility? He seems to be saying so. I have a responsibility to build myself up in the faith. I have a responsibility to keep myself in God's love. How do I do that? The word answers that. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. How do I keep myself in the love of God? Well, I can answer it by the outline and say, well, if I'm to keep myself within, it means I shouldn't wander outside. I shouldn't go outside of the love of God. I need to stay within God's love. John chapter 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone who does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Notice the word and prayer are part of abiding within. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Here's that word again, right? Keep yourselves in the love. Here's Jesus. Abide, abide, stay within my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do I abide in his love? How do I keep myself in his love? By keeping his commandments. You might say, what is Jude saying that for at this particular time? He's dealing with false teachers. Yes, those false teachers are saying, you don't have to keep God's commandments. You don't have to keep God's sexual laws of purity. 
You don't have to keep God's law of lust. You don't have to keep laws of passions. You can do whatever you want. You can live like the Gentile world. What does Jesus say? You want to stay within my love? Then you keep my commandments. What do the false teachers want? They want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want Jesus as Lord. What does Jesus say? If you want me to love you, then you need to keep my commandments. You need to abide in my love. How do you do that? By keeping my commandments. What do we do about this? The world in which we live in. We don't cave in. We don't give in. Well, you know, I... I I, I know this, this kid, and he's a really nice kid. I think he's a really genuine Christian, but yeah, he's involved in a homosexual marriage, and you know, I, I really think he's okay. Keep my commandments. You can't have Jesus as Savior without Jesus as Lord. That's what the false teachers were trying to pervade. But you know, that trickles down, doesn't it? It's somewhat easy to pick on the, the homosexual situation. But those false teachers come in in so many different ways to distort God's truth and God's commands. There's commands about husbands loving your wife, too. There's commands about wives being subjection. Your husband. There's commands about children obeying your parents. But you know, we live in a world and in a society in which our children are told, you don't need to obey your parents. We live in a world and a society in which children are told, don't even tell your parents that I'm teaching you this. Abide in my love. How? Keep my commandments. We live in a day and age in which somehow loving your wife is being all macho. Maybe slapping her around a little bit to show her who's boss. Abide in my love. Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Abide in my love. Live with me as your Savior. And as your Lord, as you wait for the mercy of God. What is that? Those who hold and say, Jesus is not only my Savior, but I strive daily to live with him as my Lord. He knows our imperfections. He knows our sin. He knows our shortcomings. He knows we're never going to be perfect in this life. But are we at least willing to say, Lord, teach me, show me. What are your commandments? How might I follow those commandments? Wait, because there's coming a day when you are going to hear, come. And these false teachers are going to hear, away from me, for I never knew you. 
You know why? Because what does Jesus go on to say in John 15? Greater love hath no man than this, but that he lays down his life for his beloved. Father, thank you for your word. As you have fed us with that living word, now feed us with your word in sign and seal. In Christ's name, God's people say again, amen.